So we've been in a series and it's called Out of the Mud and the Mire. Can you say Out of the Mud and the Mire? And our core scripture has been Psalm chapter 40. Let's go ahead and pull this up. Verses 1 through 3. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Isn't that good news? You letting God lift you out of a pit is a beautiful thing for you and a testimony to those around you. Do you know that? People observe what God is doing in our lives, how much of a helper he is. They see that and they're drawn to him. It's such a beautiful thing that us being helped is also helping others, just like inherently. If we let the Spirit of God help us, others are being helped too. I think that's so beautiful. In this series, we've kind of been talking, Pastor Paul's really brought um, some more clarity to what uh, the Spirit of God wants to communicate in this. And, and first of all, you know, it's that God is not afraid of the mud and the mire. Whatever you consider yuck in your life, God's not afraid of it. He wants to help. He already knows about it. You're not really hiding anything from him. He wants to reach in and help. And that goes to show something about our God. It is that he is so good. Can you say good? good. We serve a good God. We serve a good God. God is good to us. God is good to all of humanity. God wants to meet people even in bad and bring good. Amen? He's so good. And so in this series, again, we've been kind of jumping around a little bit, but we've been talking about different people that we see in the Bible, um, different stories of people that we see in the Bible. And as I've been kind of praying over the last, I think it's been the last like three weeks or so, God's really drawn my attention to Jonah. Anybody ever heard of Jonah before? Yeah, there's a, there's a book, it's in the Old Testament, called Jonah. And I almost, honestly, we almost just read the whole book of Jonah this morning, you know? I was asking God, like, hey, we supposed to just like read this whole thing? Because it's not very long. I would encourage you this week, please, this week, read Jonah. It's four chapters long. You'll be able to, you can probably get through it in one sitting, you know? Or you can just like be, hey, let's take our time with it, whatever, hear God. But it's so good, and I think that if you go and read through, it might fill up and reinforce some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Because what we're going to be talking about today is in the book of Jonah, we see God helping multiple people out of the mud and the mire. Y'all ever heard of the Ninevites? Yeah, so the Ninevites were a people, and, and in Jonah, Jonah was called by God to reach the Ninevites to say, hey guys, what's going on? You need God, Right? to extend to them an invitation to repent and receive life. God didn't just look at Nineveh and go, Ugh. he looked and said, 
I want to help. So he wants to help the Ninevite. He wants to get, he wants to lift them out of the mud and the mire. But how many know Jonah had some mud and mire of his own? You know? Jonah also had some mud and mire. And the, the, I'm just going to tell you out the gate, the kind of mud and mire that Jonah dealt with is particularly frustrating to me. So I don't, I don't want you guys to think that I've got it out for Jonah. You know, we've all got room to grow. Amen? And we all have different manifestations of flesh when we don't yield ourselves to God. And so if throughout this you hear me getting increasingly frustrated with Jonah, don't worry, okay? We're just talking about room to grow. But the truth of it is, is that Jonah, Jonah's mud and mire looked like yearning for judgment where God wanted to extend grace. That was Jonah's heart. Jonah wanted people to get what they deserve. And God didn't want that. God wanted to reach in and he wanted, he wanted to extend an opportunity for them to repent. And so do you see that Jonah was in a pit and the Ninevites were in a pit? Here's the good news. No matter what your pit looks like, God wants to meet you in it and lift you out of it. Amen? So if you feel like a Ninevite, what does that mean? You feel like you're, you're some dirty thing. You've been caught up in wickedness. It's whatever that looks like. I've been there. God loves you. He wants to help you. Maybe you just have a really, really hard time embracing the goodness of God. He wants you to know it is truth. He wants you to experience his love in a way that actually transforms your heart in the way that you think about people. But you got to let him do it. You got to let him do it. So in the story of Jonah, God demonstrates his patience and love in reaching in and working with both Jonah and the Ninevites. Let's take a look. We're going to start this thing off. Jonah chapter 1, 1 through 3. Um, if, you, if this is your first time here, maybe you're listening online, you're going to see some bold words throughout Scripture. Um, if it's not distracting to you, I would encourage you to read those parts along with me uh, to keep engaged. And also, um, there are things that I've emphasized because they relate to what we're talking about. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah got up to flee from Tarshish. Tarshish. Reminds me of like a fillet. It's like tartar sauce and fish all. Tarshish, you know, from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah, Jonah gets up and flees from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship that was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and boarded it to go with them to, sh there's just too much Tarshish in. This is wild. Boarded it to go with them to Tarshish, 
away from the presence of the Lord. Anybody ever have any wickedness come up before you? Anybody ever notice wickedness before? Yeah? Um, how many know God notices wickedness? Yeah? Um, here's the difference. We see wickedness. And sometimes we go, ew. God goes, ow. Is your response to wickedness, ew or ow? Do you see it as, do you judge as disgusting and separate yourself? Or do you look at godlessness and see pain? Do you see opportunity for God to move? And do you reach in and want to see the healing power of God transform people's lives? This matters a lot. This is very important because there's no shortage of wickedness in the world we live. And if we decide to turn our eyes from every manifestation of wickedness, you're going to be hiding out in some monastery on an island. Because, oh, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. As we're called to reach this world. We're called to see real transformation in people's lives who are hurting. Many, many looked at me before I knew God and said, yuck. One family decided to say, ow and show me the love of God, and I've never been the same. I'm not some, there's so many of me out there. Please. Please see the pain and have compassion. He wants to help hurting people. And hurt manifests itself in all sorts of gross ways. Godlessness, not having God in your life, it's like another good way to look at it is see wickedness as starvation. See wickedness as starvation. How many of y'all have ever heard those stories where if there's starvation going on, people get wild? They actually start like eating each other and stuff. How many all know that's disgusting? Right? And the, the issue, the root of that, is the starvation. God wants to deliver some meals through the church. God wants to bring people a lasting and actual nourishment. that will stay, they'll be full, and that will replace the emptiness, and therefore the wickedness will fade away into the peripheral. It's like I see us like delivery drivers. Like the church, we're a bunch of delivery drivers, you know? But are you putting people through a filter 
that prevents you from going to the door? Are you getting the call? Because listen, it's not the same. Sometimes the call for delivery will be an insult. Hello? Sometimes the call for delivery will be slandering our God. Sometimes the call for delivery will, it'll, it'll look like all of the things that our culture, the world's culture, not our culture, the world's culture is saying, yeah, this is great, this is good, this is good, let's promote this thing, let's promote this thing, let's promote this thing. It might look like all of that, and it might seem so contrary to what you recognize as the truth. But people are grabbing, trying to fulfill need. We have a meal. We have a meal. And we're called to deliver it. Let's be good deliverers. Amen? Do not assume that you fully understand what someone is doing. And do not assume that someone who is doing something wicked fully understands what they are doing. Okay? A lot of people are just like stumbling around in the dark, y'all. And we have light to distribute. And light replaces darkness, right? And so it's like, yes, <laughs> I mean, if we turned off the lights in here and just went full black and we were like, okay, everybody just get up, try to find your way out of here. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to be tripping over stuff. I, even knowing this room as well as I know it, sometimes I come in here when all the lights are off and I'll be going to the dumpsters, which are right out there, and I'll be like hitting chairs and stuff. And I'm like, excuse me, I know this place. But without the light, you're bumping into stuff. And that's what's going on in the earth. People are bumping into stuff. I love in Jonah chapter 4, verse 11, because again, Jonah was called to reach Nineveh. And Jonah said, nope, I don't want to. Not the Ninevites. God, you're going too far. There's a threshold, God, and you've passed it. Not them. And so he turns his back, and goes in the exact opposite direction. Now later on, in the same book of Jonah, chapter 4, God brings some clarity to some things. He says, should I not also have compassion? Can you guys say compassion? Notice that word because Jesus often, it says that he was moved with compassion and he healed. Isn't that interesting? Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed. The Ninevites, they needed healing. They needed to recognize their, their wow, I, this is not it. What I'm trying to do, it's not working. We turn to God and he heals. But God says this, should I not also have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. Now, scripturally speaking, right and left, what you often find is the left hand represents foolishness and the right hand represents blessing. 
And so what's really interesting is it's almost like the Ninevites don't even know the difference between good and bad. They don't know the difference between blessing and cursing. Who does know the difference? God. Who does he call to bless others? The church. Amen? And so he might call us into situations where people, the stuff might look wicked, recognize pain. And don't assume that everybody knows what they're doing. They don't. They don't. They don't. They might even be experts in darkness. Don't hold them accountable to expertise of the light. Do you hear me? They don't know the light. What I also like in this is recognizing that it's easy to judge a group and forget that it's made up of a bunch of individuals. God, he says, hey, there's more than 120,000 people in this city. It's easy to be like, ugh, Nineveh, you know? But within Nineveh, there's a bunch of human beings with real lives, real stories. The church cannot embrace this nasty spirit of demonizing people, putting them in groups. And, and what's, what's frustrating about this is the world loves groups. We love, the flesh loves division. Flesh loves a club. You know? Guys, it's... Remember, if you ever catch yourself speaking of a group, maybe it's a political affiliation, maybe it's people of a certain color, who knows what it is? Maybe it's people who do a particular thing. If you find yourself judging entire groups of people, just recognize what you're doing. And, and I believe that the Spirit of God will bring these things to remembrance so long as we let him, amen? I like this. This reminds me a lot of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 34. So this is, this is talking about the crucifixion, you know. It says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, ready? For they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments amongst themselves. Isn't that powerful? Now, they, I think they knew they were putting... A guy on a cross, right? I think they knew what they were doing. But I don't think they knew what and why they were doing the thing they were doing. Obviously, they did not know this was actually the Messiah. They were mocking him. But even deeper than that, they didn't under... They weren't functioning from a place of being filled with the Spirit of God and overflowing. And that is the answer to all things. That is the answer to all of it. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not me knowing all this stuff and judging all these things, the hope of glory. 
We were never intended to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, yet we are experts. Let's get back to what matters. We never needed to know evil. We just want to know good. So let's not even become experts of evil. We were not in, we're terrible. We're terrible at it. God's justice, God's grace, God's discernment, that's, man, he's so much better at it. And we'll look at it, we'll go, yeah, God, you got it right. It's like we hold people accountable to the perfection of Jesus when they don't even know him. First of all, none of us are going to be that perfect. It's not an excuse to not want to grow, but it's just an admission that enables us to extend grace in the church and beyond the church. So Jonah flees. Again, he's, he's looked at, God has called him, said, hey, come. Cry out against the Ninevites and, 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 and let them know something needs to change. Jonah's like, nope, no thanks. And so Jonah, again, he flees, he goes to Joppa, he gets on a ship, and he's on his way to fish in Tartar land. Tarshish. I'm going to remember that now. I ever wonder, where did he go? Oh, Tarshish, you know? And so he's on this boat, and, you know, he, uh, a storm comes. He's running from the presence of the Lord, and a storm comes against this ship, and, and it's a bad one. It's a real bad storm. And so the crewmates, they're all like, what in the world is going on? This thing came out of nowhere. What is, what is this storm all about? And Jonah, he's just chilling, sleeping in the downstairs of the ship. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about, the part where you walk down, you know? He's sleeping down there. And everybody else is like, what in the world is going on? And so eventually the captain goes, wakes him up, says, hey, um, why don't you get up and pray to your God that this stops, you know? And they come out, they, they end up casting lots to see back in, back in the Old Testament before the Spirit of God was with us. We no longer cast lots, right? You don't find it after what happened on the day of Pentecost. You don't see it happening again, the casting of lots. But back then, they used to cast lots to go like, okay, God, show us, right? And so sure enough, the lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah's like, all right, it's me. You guys, hey, listen. I'm the guy, this, this is my bad. You know, I'm running from the presence of the Lord, you know. And so he's like, you know what? Throw me overboard. Throw me overboard. The storm will cease. And you know what I find funny is they're the exact opposite of Jonah. These guys had some, they had reason to be very upset with Jonah, right? And you know what they do? They're not like, yeah, get off of this thing. They start throwing off more cargo. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard. I find that so interesting. 
But guess what? Throwing the cargo overboard didn't work. <laughs> so eventually they're just like, Lord, forgive us, you know, and they throw Jonah overboard. Jonah goes overboard, and what happens? He's swallowed by a fish. Pretty big fish. As some say whale, you know, I have no idea. I'm not going to try to get too scientific on you and be like, this is the exact fish it was. This is the species. I have no clue. All I know is God prepared a fish. And he preserved Jonah. And so Jonah is in the belly of the whale. And this is what he says. Jonah 2, 1 through 9. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I called for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, for you threw me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current flowed around me. All your breakers and waves passed over me. So I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple." I find it interesting that he thought he had been cast out of God's sight. Isn't that strange? Bro, a fish just swallowed you. God's looking out for you. So I've, I've been cast out of your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Reading on. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The deep flowed around me. I don't know why. There's just something about the image of seaweed being wrapped around his head that makes me giggle a little bit. I don't know. It just When I was reading it all week, I've read this multiple times, and every time I see the seaweed, I'm just like, that's funny. It says, I descended to the base of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. Y'all ready? But you have brought up my life from the pit, Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. How many of y'all think that sounds nice? That prayer? It actually sounds very familiar. It's a lot like Psalm 40, isn't it? The psalm that we started off with. Seems like Jonah is kind of, you know, putting some of that same stuff out there. But how many of y'all have ever been in trouble? Said, oh God, I'm sorry. You know, I, I remember back before I knew God and, you know, I had all these weird thoughts about like God punishing me and stuff like that, you know, and I, I'd be like, God, I promise I'll never do this again if you just change this thing, you know. And, you know, I, whether it was coincidence or whether he actually did get me out of those things, I would just revert back to the same old behavior. It's funny how sometimes when we're in trouble, our cry is authentic. And we actually want change. Sometimes when we're in trouble, we just want out of that circumstance. Listen, if the change isn't in here, you'll just find yourself in the same circumstance again. You need something greater than a change of your circumstances. Jonah wanted God's help out of the natural pit he was in, but not out of his pit of judgment. Not out of his pit of uh, Nineveh, you know? 
Another way you could say this is he wanted new circumstances, but not a new song. He says with a voice of thanksgiving, right? When Jonah continues onward, he's not really doing things with a voice of thanksgiving. He's doing them grudgingly, as you'll see in a moment. But I wanted to pull Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3 up again. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. One of the main differences between Psalm 40 and what Jonah prays in the belly of the whale is Jonah's closure is self-centered. Jonah closes it with, I, 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 I. Here? We say, even the thing I can do is from God giving me something. Even the new song is a gift from him. Many will see what he has done, and they'll be amazed. And they'll put their trust in the Lord. I find that so beautiful, you know, because like, It just reminds me of, like, you guys remember that song? Shout to the Lord on the earth, let him sing. You know what I mean? Powerful song, right? Now you can sing that wholeheartedly, like, shout to the Lord, like real worship, or you can just, shout to the Lord on the earth, let him sing. You're saying the same thing, right? One is actually worship, the other is just reciting stuff. You know? I think when God calls us to do something, he doesn't just want us to do the thing in any tone we so choose. He gives us the new song and he shows us how to sing it. He gives us a heart for it. He's not giving us a new song that we're like, oh gosh, now I have to sing this song. You know what I mean? There's inspiration there. There's a desire to walk that thing out. And that's exactly what Jonah was missing as he moved forward. So, after being in the fish three days and three nights, he is spit up onto dry land. Now, I know in VeggieTales, or whatever one it is, I, I remember seeing a, a cartoon where Jonah spat right onto the beaches of Nineveh, you know. Um, possible, I, you know. But what it does say in chapter 3, verse 1, Is this, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk. Can you guys say three days walk? Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. Can you say one day's walk? And he cried out and said, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I find it interesting that Nineveh is a three days walk and Jonah is just walking one of them. Now this could be speculation. Okay, it doesn't say that Jonah's intention was not to walk two more days. Okay, but I do find it interesting that he's like, okay, three days walk, I'll knock this, I'll knock this out in one. Could have been what happened. 
Because again, Jonah doesn't really want the Ninevites to repent. Jonah's heart is not for these people to, to change and to know God and to thrive. He doesn't want that. At this point, he just doesn't want to be in the belly of a whale. He doesn't want to be in a storm. So he's just doing what he has to do. Fine, I'll extend grace. You know? Either way, whether Jonah's intention was to just do the one day, to take his time and make sure everyone heard. Nineveh, it's so funny. Last week, something came out of my mouth at the end of service that I've never said before. This city is ripe for repentance. Or the words that came out, and I was like, huh, interesting. Nineveh was ripe for repentance. Because after one day, after one day, word gets around. Word gets around, and the whole city repents. Jonah, chapter 3, verse 8. But every person, so this is, this is what the leader was saying in Nineveh. It says, but every person and animal must be covered with sackcloth, and the people are all to call on God vehemently, and they are to turn each one from his evil way and from the violence which is in their hands. People can change. People can change. There is hope. People can actually change. I, it's silly to me that it's even a question. Do you think people can? Yes! Do you think people can? Yes! Do you think that person? Yes! In their own strength? No. By you judging and dismissing them? No. By us yielding to the Spirit of God and stepping in? Letting them, preaching the gospel, not out of obligation, but from a place of compassion? Woo! People can change. God can move and transform lives in a real way. Whether you relate more to the Ninevite or Jonah, you need to hear that. People can change. You feel like you can't change, you can change. And it's not becoming someone you're not, it's becoming who you actually are. It's recognizing you were created. You are a blessing. You are a gift. You are a child who has a father who knows you better than you know yourself. And as we yield to him, we come to know what we were designed for. We come to know our purpose and we, we get to participate in the joy of living that out. Whether you relate more to Ninevite or Jonah, you need to know there is hope for Jonah. <laughs> Do you hear me? Um, I'm calling myself out on this too, but the church has been really, really mean to the church. You know? Um, don't make a they in the church. The church, we're a we. You know? And honestly, it's, it's even dangerous to make a they of the world. Because they 
are God's children who just need to come to accept and receive what Jesus did for them. Now they might be participating in some wild stuff. Don't judge and dismiss them. Run to them as the Spirit of God leads you. But I just love how God's patience is seen in working both with Jonah and the Ninevites. And so as you can imagine, um, Jonah wasn't super stoked. <laughs> the Ninevites repent, right? And Jonah's like, ugh, this is exactly what I thought would happen, which is crazy to me. So again, I'm coming in hot at Jonah, <laughs> I can tell. But it is, honestly, it is crazy to me. And I don't think it is the heart of God. I think God sees people repenting, giving their lives over to him, and receiving life. And he's like, yes! Put a ring on their finger. Kill the fatted calf. Let's get down. Ninevites like, or Jonah is like, I guess I'll just go watch and see what happens now is essentially what he ends up doing. So Jonah 4, 1 through 4. <laughs> but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Then he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? Therefore, in anticipation of this, I fled to Tarshish. Since I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in mercy, and one who relents of disaster. So now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. But the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Fair question. And I think we can easily say, fair question, Jonah. What happens when that's flipped on you? Hot potato. <laughs> what happens when that's flipped on you? Do you have a good reason to be angry? We don't want to be the other brother in the prodigal son story. Off pouting, oh, but what about me? I'll just get lost in the mix. Jesus left the 99 to go get the one. Me, You know? Guys, it's, it's, just, it's just childish, and not the good kind of childlikeness. It's naive. <laughs> I love that. The Lord says, do you have a good reason to be angry? You see, Jonah liked the good news until it was for someone he didn't like. I think, I think if we're real, some of us can probably admit that we've been there at some point or another. We like the good news until it's like for that person or for those people. Then it's like, I don't know, good news. God loves you, I guess. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? It's like, guys, that's not what we're called to do. That's not how we're called to live. He gives us a new song. Compassion is stirred up in our hearts. It's a beautiful thing. So don't get caught in the pit of yearning for wrath and judgment where God wants to extend grace. Do you actually want the city to be saved or do you enjoy hating the city? The flesh loves to hate. 
real talk. And the church is not exempt from this, this scheme of the enemy getting us wrapped up in hatred. It's flesh. It's flesh. Do we want to see the city come to God? I find it very strange that Jonah's life was so caught up in hatred for the Ninevites that he didn't even want to live. Wasn't that wild? So wrapped up in hatred of a people that when God moves, he's like, well, my life is pointless. It just means his life was based on this hatred. So here we go. Jonah, chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. This is the end of the book of Jonah. Then Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. You see, Jonah was still just like, I'm going to watch and see what happens. He's like, <laughs> there's a part of him that's still like, come on, judgment. <laughs> come on, wrath. <laughs> Surprise me, God, with your nastiness. What? You know? So the Lord God designated a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head, relieve him of his discomfort. And Jonah was overjoyed about the plant. <laughs> but God designated a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. <laughs> That's a certified bummer, you know? I'll explain why in a moment. Reading on it says, And when the sun came up, God designated a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry? Hmm. About the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. God? Ask me if I have a right to be angry. Yes, I have the right. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not also have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals? Sometimes it's easier to love a plant than people. You know, plants don't talk. Plants don't hurt. Well, there's weeds, all that. Anyways, don't go too deep with the metaphor. You know, plants don't talk. Plants don't have stories. It's easy to love a plant. God says these people have stories. There are people in this city. It's not a, oh, look, today... Here, gone tomorrow, these people are people that God cares about. I love that the animals too, man. God cares about animals. Isn't that good? But something else that I see in Jonah and this plant 
is Jonah loved the plant because the plant was a blessing to him. Right? Now, how many of y'all know? It's great to appreciate the blessings from God. Right? Hello? That's good. Right? But the God kind of love goes far beyond distribution to those whom are a blessing to us. Far beyond those who are convenient to us. Far beyond those who are giving us shade from the storm. The God kind of love loves the very people that put you on a cross. That's the God kind of love. That's different, isn't it? I just wanted to real quick take a look at Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You guys ever noticed how the and hate your enemy is not all caps? You ever noticed that before? So when things in scripture are in all caps, it means it's referencing the Old Testament. You will not find love your neighbor, hate your enemy in the Old Testament. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness, or on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors, do they not do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Even the Gentiles, do they not do the same? Therefore, you shall be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The perfect love of God does not discriminate. The perfect love of God is not based on convenience or mutuality between you and the receiving party. The kind of love that we live out is the kind of love that is a byproduct of the Spirit of God in us, in our hearts, and we overflow with that to people who maybe have even done us harm. I don't know the full story between the Ninevites and Jonah, but I do know that the Ninevites and the Hebrews, they weren't homies. They had some battles, you know? There was probably some blood shed. It's not just like, oh, I just hate them because, you know, I just hate them. Probably had some reasoning in his mind to be angry and hate. God wants to extend love, and he wants us to yield to his compassion. Amen? So there's hope for Nineveh. There's hope for Jonah. Let's let God free us from any wickedness and pain and love people well on his behalf. Amen? A couple of questions for consideration this week. One, <laughs> again, that, that last part of Jonah, guys, they don't tell you what Jonah ends up doing. It's very like the, the end of the book of Jonah is like, so what happens? You know, you don't know if Jonah ever repents or not. And the way I read it, when I was reading it, it was like an invitation to us. Do you have good reason to be angry? So number one, are you angry? Do you have a good reason to be angry? Is there a person or a group of people who I don't want to see God's grace extended to? 
I want you to be real about that. What are some shifts in perspective that can help me out of this pit? Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I hope this message was a blessing to you. Yeah, hey, we just wanted to give you the opportunity as well to partner up and plug in to the church uh, by giving. So if you would like to be a part of that and help make this all possible, you can do so by going to wearelovechurch.com slash give. You can also plug in, stay in the loop with what's going on at the church via our Instagram and Facebook platforms. So love y'all. God bless you.